This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Couchbase, a modern multi-cloud-to-edge, SQL-friendly JSON document database for building applications with agility, performance, and scale. If you're new to Couchbase and would like to learn more, the Couchbase Developer Portal is the best place to start. It's loaded with tutorials, videos, and documentation, as well as best practice tips, quick start guides, and community resources, including the Couchbase Developer Community Forum. To get started developing on Couchbase, visit couchbase.com slash dotnet rocks. That's couchbase.com slash d-o-t-n-e-t-r-o-c-k-s. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And Mark Randall's out there. Hey, Mark. Hey, how you doing? It's going to be a good show, but, uh, how, you know, we, we'll catch up with you in a sec, Mark. But uh, I want to ask Mr. Campbell something about uh, about Vancouver. Mm, yes. Is it snowing there? Nope. Well, on the mountains where snow is supposed to be. When was the last time you saw snow in your backyard? Um, in November, we had a little dusting. And then it went, it, we rained the next day and it was gone. Ask me the last time I had seen five inches of snow in my backyard. Go ahead. Why, Mr. Franklin, when is the last time you saw five inches of snow in your backyard? Five freaking minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would like to point out that one of the reasons there's been no snow in my neighborhood this year so far is that my wife, for Christmas, bought me a snowblower. Oh, well, that doesn't mean there's no snow. It's just that the snow doesn't last very long. Oh, no, the, the gods of vengeance and irony are immediately like, <laughs> well, no snow for you. Yeah, it hasn't snowed in the UK since we bought a snow shovel. There you go. You know, See? there is something to that. We bought a generator a few years back because we lost power during uh, those big blizzards that happened here in uh, hurricanes. And then since then, pff, nope, haven't lost power. As soon as you buy the generator, eh, you're not going to use this. My generator, by the way, which I got in 2003, is 17 years old. It was supposed to have a lifespan of 10 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, it still runs. There's like one guy left that'll work on it. But it is finally, it's getting weird now. Like things are starting to go wrong with it. It's very, very old. I'm thinking uh, thinking a couple of Tesla Powerwalls. Ah, well, we we leased our generator. So there's a Mm -hmm. generator management company called, and this is really funny, they're called God generators on demand (laughs) (laughs) it's really funny when we get an email here's your bill from god from god yes god is calling in the bill uh anyway so this company basically yes we did have to pay a bunch of money to get them to come out and put it in but it's a 100 bucks a month and you don't ever worry about it like if it ever breaks down or needs replaced they'll just do it right so that's cool and of course it's propane so you know, with a 500-gallon propane tank, we're, we're pretty much settled in. Anyway, that's not my Better Know a Framework. What's your Better Know a Framework? This is Roll the Music. All right, dude. Hit me. Well, last week I promised a story. Yes. And this is a story of aggravation. Uh-oh. Yeah. I, I It was originally... Uh, sold as a story of dumb, but no, it's really aggravation. Uh, uh, basically, here's the problem. I have, over the years, generated a 
load of data from audio no. and video, right? I've collected years and years of photos that I like to categorize and keep around. Um, some I show in a, in a slideshow that's on my mantle that, you know, everybody comes in and randomly sees all these pictures. It's great. But I've literally got terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of data. So it kind of has been a whack-a-mole thing trying to keep raid servers going and using mm -hmm. Google Drive and whatever. And I, I used, I got this unraid server, right? So unraid from Lime Tech is a, is yep. a free, operating system that you just connect it to. So remember the the Microsoft thing where you just add drives to it and it's like, oh, I'll use that. And you take one out yeah. and ah, that's all right, server. I'll rebuild it. Yeah. It's just really resilient storage. So uh, I had this in the basement and it was working away for a while. And then I noticed it just went down one day and I'm not really paying attention to it. And it's like three of the eight drives have failed, uh -oh. including the parity drive. So now I'm Trouble. just, I just want to get stuff back because there's stuff on there that I need. Now, when I moved out of the studio, I brought my 50 some odd hard drives that I had amassed over the years with me. Right. In obviously. the back, in the back of my car, which I moved in, you know, I moved into the house because I knew that someday I was going to look through these things and, and find things I need. Right. So anyway, someday. long story short. Uh, I decide that the best way to get this RAID server back online is just replace the drives that are dead. So finding the drives that were dead was a fun, aggravating experience. And then basically the, the funnest thing or the most fun thing was ordering a three terabyte drive for $49. <laughs> a three terabyte SATA drive for 49 bucks. So naturally I got three of them. Naturally. And the thing came back up online and I was able to find some of it, but not all of it. And then I decided to go look. And there was, there was a particular session that I was looking for from the studio right. that was nowhere. It wasn't on the, the RAID server. It was on a drive somewhere. So I got one of those, you know, USB portable drive chassis that you can just hot stick a SSD drive in. And I spent the literally spent the last week, Richard, Mark, sticking every single one of those 50 some odd SATA drives in there, pulling off the things that I want. But, but here's the thing. I needed a place to put it. So I'm like, I have to go to the cloud because I'm not going to deal with this raid stuff anymore. How many times have I said that, Richard? Like, mm -hmm. and, and I'm like 10 years behind everybody else, right? Everybody else has their stuff in the cloud. I mean, I tried, uh, what's that one that you sign up for? Uh, Carbonite, right? I tried that. And until I decided to go and retrieve my files and they're like, oh yeah, they're not there. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so Carbonite was out. I, I've had the most frustrating experience with OneDrive. Uh, I've, I've had situations and I have this situation. I got this new machine. I pull it up and I pull up documents and it's documents from my studio, uh, documents folder. Cause that's great. in OneDrive. Great. Awesome. So now what? Well, I, I don't even remember doing that. Right. So OneDrive is kind of a pain, but I'm, I've got terabytes now. So I start doing the math and Google to do Google Drive, right? It was going to cost me. I don't know what it was, like $300 a month, and that's only for like 50 terabytes. 
So I found this other one called Wasabi. And Wasabi claims to be one-fifth the price of Azure S3. But if you look at it under the covers, they are using Azure S3. So I'm thinking, well, how is this a sustainable thing? But I tried it anyway. Now, because all of the files are like local, I don't want to be using a web interface to upload things. So I really wanted a file explorer, uh, you know, plugin, something that will just add a drive, right? So I can just copy files from one place to another. So Wasabi has this thing that you could, uh, this little cloud tool that you could load up and it would turn into a drive. And that was all fine. And then I found that um, sharing files on Wasabi is a nightmare. Hmm. because and, and this is all, I think this is a, a, a good story for somebody who's looking to do this because I've done the hard work, man. I have taken the blows for you. <laughs> so... So Wasabi turns out to be like, oh, that was public yesterday. It's not today. Hmm. I made this folder public. Oh, yeah, but that was just for the last 10 minutes. Now I've changed my mind. It's not so. So that was just a nightmare. And on top of that, if you added up all the terabytes and terabytes of stuff that I need, I it's going to still blow the bank. It's, it's a lot more than I want to s- spend on long term storage, you know. So somebody says Dropbox and I said, you know, I had Dropbox and that was all cool. And I looked around on Dropbox because I actually did like the interface. Oh, oh wait, I have to rewind a little because before Wasabi, I tried Google Drive and I tried mounting using Google Drive file stream. I tried mounting a drive to my Google Drive and that worked. And then I found out that it was going to cost way too much. And so when I, that's when I went to Wasabi. And what I did was I uninstalled, in quotes, the Google Drive file stream thing. And it, because what I wanted to do is move files from Go- to Google Drive, right? That's why I installed it, because I wanted to manage it just in the file explorer. All right, so I uninstalled that, and then after Wasabi, and I settled on Dropbox, which turns out to be great, by the way. Dropbox is the solution, because they have this unlimited storage thing, and it's only $20 a month for at least five users. So for 100 bucks a month, I've got unlimited storage in Dropbox, and they've got a great uh, Windows Explorer thing. So... That now I'm like, well, you know what? I've got a whole bunch of files on Google Drive. Let me reinstall that Google Drive file stream. And it says, this is already, I go to reinstall. It says, this product is already installed. Okay. So I, I delete everything. I go to through the registry. I delete the folders. I delete everything. I take it off completely there's no sign of google drive on my hard drive on my system reboot restart nope i'm sorry it's already installed then i go looking on the googles and i find that i'm not the only one with this problem this product gets its hooks in your machine and won't go away (laughs) (laughs) it won't go away probably because it's it's embedded itself so much with Windows. Like I go to the registry, I try to delete a, you know, an, an entry that has DriveFS in it. It's a, nope, you can't do that. What? No, no. It's my registry. It's basically, it's basically a rootkit. Yeah, it's yeah. a rootkit. That's yeah. exactly right. So anyway, long story short, tried Google Drive, tried Wasabi, uh, 
ended up with Dropbox and I couldn't be happier. The only thing that you have to worry about with Dropbox is you need a place on a large hard drive in where to put all the files and then it will sync and then you can turn on this thing called online only. So it removes the actual data from your hard drive once it's in Dropbox and then, you know, it becomes virtual. So if you actually open it up, then it will pull the data and use it. So it's cool. I ended up with Dropbox, but man, was that an aggravating journey. And I realize that's 10 minutes that I've wasted of your life, but hopefully you learned something. <laughs> I, I love it when people say long story short at the end of 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. but to make a short story longer. <laughs> well, that's my story. Uh, Richard, who's talking to us today? Grabbed a comment off of show 1644, the one we did with one Mark Rendell uh july of 2019 so when uh, when we when we were actually at ndc in oslo oh those were the days oh yeah and you know the real thing and of course talking about recode the dealing with the whole issue around when it was dotnet core 3 and the fact that microsoft had made an attempt to migrate wcf when nope this doesn't make sense pushed up their partial effort in, into GitHub and went, have at her, and, but it's not. we're not going to do it. Yeah. And uh, lots of good comments off of that show. This one is from Robert Wyman. Um, probably wrote this right around the same time the show published. Okay. So it's a two-year-old comment. He says, we have a reporting app in regular use on the platform that still uses .NET remoting. Because, of course, you can't talk about WCF without talking about .NET remoting. Of course. For retrieving data for the parameter selection screen and triggering the remote reporting engine to run and bring the HTML back to the client machine. I don't think I'd say we're happy with it, but it still works. Right. And nobody wants to pay to rebuild it with more modern technology. It's also using a fairly obsolete statistical reporting engine as well. So. Ah, <laughs> beautiful. Everything is obsolete on this program, except for the part where it works. <laughs> <laughs> but you know isn't this the thing you're going to confront every time right is you it's not broken why are we going to fix it like what do we need to do here and because and once you start down that path you know it's like opening up a wall in your house once you see what's in there oh, oh everything's coming apart oh after yeah that. so uh robert we're gonna dig further into this whole conversation and thank you so much for your comment a copy of Music to Code by is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code by, write a comment on the website at donetrocks.com or on Facebook because we publish there as well. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, I'll send you a copy of Music to Code by. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. Please do not use the binary formatter. <laughs> <laughs> you can't read it. All right. Mark Rendell's the only guy who can read that stuff. All right, it's time to formally introduce Mark Rendell. He's been on the show a couple of times. Uh, his biopic has magically uh, transformed from either Statler or Waldorf. I can't remember which one, but uh, <laughs> Mark Rendell is 30 years old in hexadecimal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Uh, and has been coding professionally for three quarters of his life. His current mission is to get the world off of .NET 4 point whatever and onto .NET 5. 
In his spare time, he started making games with Unity and has just released his first project on iOS and Android. Mark's hobbies include genetically modifying otters <laughs> and decoding the hidden prophecies in the digits of pi. Because <laughs> you've got to have a hobby. <laughs> or two. And, you know, otters, otters could be better. As mollusks. <laughs> Could be. As Indeed. Well. <laughs> Splice in some mollusk DNA and, and just see what happens. I have a lot of otter experience these days. I have we have northern river otters living around our coast place. Oh, they you're are so lucky. Remarkably destructive little beasties. <laughs> my goodness. Mm. And they like they like to make a racket. They like to carry bits of wood into the boat shed and whack them on things to make as much noise as possible. Yeah. There's probably a, a grander purpose As to that. Otters do. They're, they're, they're probably trying to achieve something. You just don't know what it is. Oh, yeah. No, it's all the, the population of Northern River otters is actually growing in BC, where otters population declining almost everywhere else in the world, where we are, because they almost were wiped out 100 years ago, they're still repopulating. And so they are constantly competing for territory. So we've gotten good at identifying the various groups that live in the area. And they all... You know, want to establish our boat shed as their territory, and they do that by crapping all over it, <laughs> over and over and over. <laughs> oh man! Anyway, that's otter life for you. <laughs> Funny stuff. So, Mark, what the heck have you been up to lately? I have been like everybody else. I've been cowering indoors. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, working on visual recode and mm -hmm. working on some other stuff, um, some new bits at the same time. And yeah, making games with Unity. That's fun. And uh, just to recap, the last time we talked about recode, uh, this is your WCF to GRPC uh, upgrade framework, I guess. What would you call it? Um, it's, a, it's a tool. So it's a plugin for Visual Studio. Okay. Um, and version one, uh, yeah, took a WCF service and converted it to a .NET Core 3.1 gRPC service. It now supports yeah. .NET 5 as well. Um, but I'm adding more functionality into that. So it's got a guided project upgrade mode at the moment. Um, so if you've got a solution with 200 projects in it, it will tell you which ones of them you can upgrade to the new SDK format and add right. new framework at the same time to let you kind of go through a project at a time and say, upgrade this to the latest and greatest um, until you've eventually upgraded all of them. So mm. that's out now. Um, and that takes care of things like if your NuGet package doesn't support .NET Core or .NET 5, um, it checks to see if there's a later version that does. And if there, is, if there is, then it just magically upgrades to it. And if there isn't, it goes, it's going to say, do you want me to convert anyway? And you can take care of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm now working on uh, supporting Web API and MVC migration. So you can go from nice. ASP.NET Web API or ASP.NET MVC 2.5 uh, um, and convert that to an ASP.NET Core MVC project um, and take care of all the, just the little differences, like the fact in uh, ASP.NET Web API, um, if you want to return not found, you throw a new not found exception, uh, which was a, a, the way they came up with for doing that at the time. Um, but it tries to find those 
and then change that to return a not found result instead. So hopefully we can help people who've got um, ASP.NET Web API and MVC projects out there to move those over. Yeah. At some point, I am planning on having a look at .NET Remoting because it should be quite similar to WCF. Wow. But I've had a few people say, what about .NET Remoting? Yeah. Because we never upgraded to WCF. And he's just kind of like, okay. Yeah, I kind of I think that he's one of five. Because if you had remoting, and that was a critical piece of your architecture, uh, you know, it died a pretty spectacular death, if I recall correctly. And don't you think you would have done something else by now? Um, you would think, but as, as Robert said, it works. Yeah. And these people, they have these systems, and they work. And... Well, especially if you got you, – you probably built it in 1.1. Mm-hmm. You got up to 2, which was a pain in the butt. It's a bunch of things. It was breaking changes from 1.1 to 2. And 2 was so stable with a, with a couple of the patches in place, you never touched it again. Exactly. Like, and, why, and why would you? It'll be rock solid. Right. Like it, it'll, be, it'll be real sturdy and fast. There's, there's just – because the next few versions of .NET – aren't that great until you get to four, right? It's just problems. If you, you think about that interview period, that's five years. The chances that the team that got it up and running on two was still together when four appeared are all really low. And so at that point, it's like, well, nobody really knows and it's not broken. So forget it. Right. And dude, that was 2010. Mm. Now it's 2021. And you're going to be paying extended license fees and support fees and the longer you keep it the worse it's going to get and um and yeah i the thing is from a commercial perspective i don't need a lot of people to have this problem i need um at least one person who's got a lot of money to have this problem (laughs) yeah you know that'll do me (laughs) well i'm also i mean i'm just thinking like i'd look through the blog posts and things and recode like more and more it sounds more like you're you're dealing with the framework to five migration as much as the wcf to grpc migration yeah um so especially since uh since five supports windows forms and wpf and those are perfectly valid things to to bring over Mm. um and and a lot of that is just uh you know you, you copy the files into a new .NET 5 project and uh and you change the app startup ever so slightly because you need the program and the main thing in there um but if people have structured their projects as kind of lots of class libraries and and that sort of thing um then yeah giving them a way to sort of a little bit at a time migrate .NET Framework stuff and uh, and just kind of go, okay, let's do this this class library um, wow. and fix the bugs in that when you go from uh, from four to five. And are you and is it important that they're like at all the way up at four eight before they make that hop to five? No, we're trying to support four point five. From um, four point five on. From four point five on. So if okay. you're on three point five, then why? Um, yeah, but you know. Uh, change that to 4.5, but uh, we're supporting 4.5 and up um, as as our source. And yeah, it's it just migrate the things a bit at a time. Dual target the class library so they're targeting .NET 4. Point whatever you're running on, and 
uh, .NET 5 or Core 3.1 if you want the LTS. Um, and yeah, eventually you just get to a point where everything is is migrated. But so, without- so you're describing there's a period here in the migration where you're just going to run both frameworks in this app and it'll work? Um, you're going to target both frameworks. So when you run your right. build, and if you've got unit tests, you've got uh, it'll migrate your unit test project to modern unit test projects. Right. And so um, your your continuous integration process, you can have it sort of running the tests against version 4 and version 5. Um, but obviously what you're deploying will still be .NET 4 point whatever right. mm-hmm. um, until you sort of bite the bullet and go, right, let's let's build this as a .NET 5 application with all the fantastic stuff that's in there, like single file deployment and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can just go through and take out the .NET 4 targets from all your project files, which will yeah, probably I- provide a, a nice kind of wizard to just do that for you. And is you know, unit tests and pipelines, the issue that these folks are mostly dealing with. Like I keep thinking back to the story we were just telling about this, an ancient application that isn't going to have any of those things. So the biggest problem we see with these um, from talking to people and from dog fooding it on a couple of um, Gibraltar software projects Mm -hmm. is um, people are using outdated libraries. Um, People are using, uh, either NuGet packages um, that have not that are not, no longer maintained and haven't been maintained for the last five years, right. and so there's no .NET standard or .NET Core version of the library. So you need to replace it with something new that that is yeah. supported. Um, right. Or in a lot of cases, they're just using you know back in the day when you bought Infragistics or um, yep. DevExpress something you just downloaded a zip file from their website or you ran an installer and now yeah. these things are distributed usually from private um, authenticated NuGet servers right and so it's kind of helping people through that upgrade process and uh and, it's and really rebuilding that. your build process into contemporary sources of third-party libraries and modern build the, the modern build practices that that .NET 5 is going to expect yes yeah and we're trying to make that part we sort of build functionality into Visual Studio so that you can right click and from the context menu choose upgrade project. Um, and it just takes care of all that for you. Um, actually sort of going through and looking to see if you've got linked files in there and all this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it does that in place in your project. Um, yeah. And I'm just thinking about, yeah, all of the, there's so many bigger problems than WC after GR, GRPC. Mm, mm. Yeah, WCF to GRPC was the kind of the the itch. The it was the I wonder if I could do this. Right, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try that for a, a couple of weeks of, of of evenings and come up with a console application that could do it for a sort of very narrow use case. But the principle was there. And well, so that's especially when I, think, bit- when I think about old WCF code, I think about it mostly using defaults. Yeah. Right. Because the, the most early versions, if you're dealing with, you know, version three, version four, WCF, as long as you use the default stuff, it was pretty cool. But as soon as you went under the hood, as soon as you started tinkering with any of the attributes, all hell broke loose. Absolutely. And you had to have a German on speed dial if you needed help. Aust- Austrian, but yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so sorry. 
But no, the vast majority of, of WCF projects out there, um, I think, are just using the defaults. They're using SOAP over HTTP. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a super migratable then. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing is, for the most part, uh, they don't care what it is because they're building the service. They're generating the client mm-hmm. um, from WSDL files. And so what they want is a, a an environment where they can build the service and generate a client, and gRPC provides that for them. Yeah. The other thing we did was we launched the product kind of final non-beta version in March of 2020, which mm-hmm. obviously was a fantastic time to do anything. Oh, yeah. Um, Lovely. Perfect timing. Excellent. Well yeah. done. Um, While so you're locking no- down, read this document. Yes. <laughs> Um, so, so, uh, things have been a bit quiet. <laughs> well, I also, th- I also think your priority set as a developer shuffled in the lockdown too. Yes. Like, and, and, and updating of existing software that works as is just, I mean, it wasn't high on the list to begin with, but during the crisis, Holy man, like, I'm sorry, you're not going to get to that right now. Um, so, yes, and that's why the the direction, I mean, the, the web API and MVC stuff, um, it's a lot easier because the two things are, are much closer in the first place. Right. Um, and your code, you know, once you've moved it across, it's still basically the same code. Um, but now it's, you know, something that'll do um, a million requests a second on Linux instead of right. 50,000 requests a second on a big, heavy Windows box. Um, Mark, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. You know what's not fair? The fact that Netflix hides thousands of shows and movies from you based on your location and then has the nerve to increase their prices on you. That's right. They've just raised their prices once again. Now, you could just cancel your subscription in protest, or you could be smart about it and make sure you're getting your full money's worth by using ExpressVPN, like I do. See, you might not know that what's on Netflix in your country is completely different from what people in other countries have on theirs. Using ExpressVPN, I can control which country I want Netflix to think I'm in. ExpressVPN has over 90 countries to choose from, so every time I run out of stuff to watch, I just switch to another country to unlock new shows. And here's the best part. It's not just for Netflix. You can use ExpressVPN to unlock shows on other streaming services, too. I like to use it to watch BBC iPlayer. It's free and only available in the UK. ExpressVPN is also super fast and works on your phone, laptop, even smart TVs, so you can watch your shows on the big screen with zero buffering. So be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash dot net. Don't forget to use our link so you can get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash d-o-t-n-e-t. Expressvpn.com slash d-o-t-n-e-t. And we're back. It's Donnet Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hey, man. This is our friend Mark Rendell and his amazing visual recode project. You know, I'm going to counterman what I said before the break about the whole updating existing apps that work is going to drop in priority. Because the side effect of moving to all remote work was that a lot of stuff that worked in-house probably wasn't usable remotely, especially those internal apps, those WinForm-based apps. That's when you find out that your WCF configuration required a local network or it wasn't going to work. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think there's um, 
there's a lot of people out there who want to sort of uh, migrate to this new stuff. And um, now that the .NET version number is incrementing annually every November, mm-hmm. so this November we'll get .NET 6, which is an LTS release, and then next year it'll be 7. Yeah. Um, and 4 is just going to look older and older and older, which, you know, is probably Microsoft's plan. But I also think the energy around five is now there's one dot net. Yeah. Right. I mean, that was part of the whole mission here was they don't want to keep making different versions of dot net. You don't want to be on the so-called wrong version of dot net. We've had new features coming only to quote unquote core from, you know, C sharp eight and C sharp nine. So yeah, there's one dot net and you should be on it. Yeah. And I mean, five is still a stepping stone on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, six is going to be, you know, Xamarin uh, will be because in five, Xamarin's in a weird place. Uh, yes. Yes, but it is. In, in six, Xamarin is like fully on board. I um, love your optimism, Mark. Oh, yeah. Usually I expect sarcastic criticism from you. Um, so, there'll be some of that. <laughs> yeah, no, but this is the whole thing is like five was supposed to be the version to end all versions. Yes. But, you know, there's a basic rule here in building software. If you fix the date, you slip the features. If you yeah. fix the features, you slip the date. They've declared a new version every November. It's not going to have all the things in it that you hope it will have. No. And I mean, I, I don't think when they said we're doing .NET 5 and it's going to be the one .NET and everything's going to be all joined together and, and just use that going forward, I don't think anybody had even thought of MAUI at that mm-hmm. point. And then mm-hmm. they kind of like, oh, no, a new um, all-in-one application framework that's going to replace WPF and Windows Forms and UWP and Xamarin. Yes. Um well, before and that, they called that XAML standard, and it didn't go all that yeah, well that either, did it? did not go well at all. Talk about stories of frustration. I had on the schedule to record a Blazor Train episode on doing mobile with Blazor. And the state of mobile with Blazor right now is so screwed up because there's the experimental mobile bindings, the Blazor mobile bindings, yeah. which yeah. are just experimental. They were never a production ready thing. Right. And so, uh, that is not a, the way forward. The, the new stuff is coming in .NET 6. And so I basically have, instead of doing the definitive, here's how you do Blazor mobile. What I'm, what I did was a show on PWAs, which are pretty, pretty damn cool in WebSemble. Yeah. And I've got Dan Roth coming on, uh, in a couple of weeks to talk about, the state of Blazor Mobile, which he's going to show the bindings, but we're also going to take a look at what's what's coming in .NET 6. That'll be cool. I'll have yeah. to tune in for that But one. it's not a good time for Blazor Mobile. <laughs> no, Blazor, Blazor is the definitive jam tomorrow. Yes. Uh, and I, I think the question a lot of people asking were, is, will Blazor finally become uh, stable and usable before they scrap it? <laughs> oh, you are so Biggest. cynical, man. It's <laughs> just, you know, the silver light vibes. There you yeah, go. Yeah, but uh, th- all right, don't get me started. Right. Silverlight I had mean, nothing to do with the technology. It was it was businesses. Oh yeah. It yeah, was a absolutely. business ploy. Yeah. Yeah. Well no, its deployment model had some problems and you know, it's over now. But I it's by the same token, you know, if Maui yeah. 
Because we, you also mentioned the new version of WinForms for for .NET five, which is the high DPI version of WinForms, which yes. is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, but it's also a breaking migration. Like your existing WinForms apps will are unlikely to migrate perfectly to .NET five WinForms. Yeah, um, and I mean a lot of that is just because if you've got a .NET four point eight point one WinForms app then you're in yeah. a better position. If you've got a .NET 4.0 WinForms app or a .NET 2.0 WinForms app, God forbid, yeah. that's not going to go um, gently at all. No. Um, it And, yeah, that's again, that's something we're going to be looking at. Um, yeah, I wonder how many 4.8.1 WinForms app exists because, generally speaking, again, these things don't break and there wasn't new features. Like, why would you change? Maybe you made the hop to four. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you made the hop to four five. Maybe you didn't. And the problem was, you know, if you if you were on two point and then three point five came along, and you went, well, we don't want WPF, so we're not going to bother upgrading to that. And then four point comes along, and then four point five comes along, and now you've got this sort of three or four major version gap between what you're using and, and the current version. And it just becomes more and more difficult to, to do that upgrade. Yeah. Um, and, and less and less. Yeah. And, and time has passed. People have moved on. Nobody knows this code. Yeah. It isn't covered in unit tests, most likely. You know, it doesn't have that. Its build pipeline is based on a Word doc nobody can find. Right. Like it's, it's that kind of stuff that gets the software. It's legacy software, except yeah. it's functional. Yeah, that actually segues nicely into the other thing that I've been working on 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 the Recode side of things, um, which is a new open source project. Mm, Um, Because we get a lot of queries on the website saying, "What about web forms?" Because there is a there is a lot of web forms out there. Oh yeah, and um, there's there's nothing we can do. Actually, there Um, is. But it turns out there is. But no, WebForms is is its own thing. It is not like anything else. Yeah. And it's there's no way you can sort of say take this ASPX page with whatever control sets and and libraries and everything else that you're using and convert that to Blazor or convert it to Razor MVC or Razor actually, Pages. Actually, I gotta chime in here because Jeff Fritz has started and it's pretty pretty well filled out a project uh, with his friends, Fritz and friends, to uh, make a library that maps one-to-one with the syntax of of web forms to Blazor. Because Blazor is very much like web forms in terms of what it's trying to do. Of yeah. course, the under the hood is, you know, completely different. But but there is a library out there, and we'll I'll find the GitHub repo, and we'll post it in the links. I actually talked about this with him on Blazor Train, and it's it's pretty compelling. That that sounds very interesting, and I, especially and I would, for you because that yeah, would be very a nice, interested to see that. Right? Um, but what I came up with in in my um, in a fevered moment of inspiration was um, Microsoft have got a, a reverse proxy. Um, library, which is it's a NuGet package for um, ASP.NET Core 3.1 and 5.0, and you just you you say services dot 
add remote proxy and then in your endpoints bit in your configure method, you just mm -hmm. map reverse proxy. And then you can stick your ASP.NET Core application in front of a bunch of other applications or a single application or whatever, and it just proxies through. And mm. I thought, well, what if you you set that up and pointed it at your old creaky web forms application, mm. and then you added controllers or Blazor components or whatever to your new application that had the same address as the backend, as the, as the old application. Mm -hmm. And it would just interrupt and go, Oh no, hang on. I can serve that for you. So you can migrate a page at a time. Um, oh. and yeah. And you're not sort of recreating the code. You're not migrating the, the ASPX or any of that stuff. You're just right. going, I'm going to redo the, this admin page or I'm going to redo um, this, the shopping cart page, right? And you just kind of go one page at a time and re-implement it using the modern technology. And all the time, you're, you're kind of going, I need to add a feature to this page. Mm. I'll just redo it in, in MVC and Razor. Um, and then eventually you'll get to a point where everything's being served by the front end. Nothing's being served by that. You can just turn the back end off, um, which I think uh, th there are a few reasons that I like this. Hmm. Um, one is I thought of it completely randomly and then someone went, oh, yes, that's the strangler pattern. Because, of course, <laughs> did, that's yeah. Great. Um, that's great. Because, of course, Martin Fowler thought of this before me and right. gave it a name and, and put it on the blicky. Um, because there are no new ideas, or at least there are no ideas in software that Martin Fowler hasn't already had. I just um, want to hear you say blicky again. Oh, yes. blicky. I love the blicky. Blicky, blicky. It's, That's the sound of an uh, 80s drum fill. Blicky, blicky, <laughs> blicky, blicky. Um. But yes, he, he put it on his Blicky in 2004. Yeah. Um, and it's named after Strangler Figs. And he, he actually changed it to be called the Strangler Fig Pattern because wow. he called it the Strangler Pattern and people went, what, like Boston? Um, nice. It's a slightly unpleasant name. So, But he, it was inspired by Strangler Figs, which are plants that um, take roots, they, they germinate in other trees, and then they grow down. They send tendrils down until they reach the ground, and then they take root in the ground, um, and then they kill the tree that they landed in um, and replace it. And so it's it's a really good uh, kind of um, analogy for, for what I'm recommending that people do. But um, it's it's a horrible horrible name. Even strangler fig. It's you don't you don't want it in there. Um, and so. Uh, after a, a couple of polls on Twitter and asking for suggestions and stuff, um, there's a the the libraries to help you do this are called Cocoon, which is a much nicer thing, but basically the same thing. A cocoon is something that wraps around something that is sort of usually quite ugly, and then something beautiful comes out of it later. Um, and and it's a much nicer word, and it's also the third best movie that Steve Gutenberg was ever in. <laughs> <laughs> um, the 
the second best movie, obviously, was the original Police Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best movie was Short Circuit. Yes. Ali Sheedy. Mm. Yeah. Um, and some slightly dodgy stuff going on with makeup. But, you know, though it was a different time. At least it um, wasn't a mollusk. Ex- yes. Um, but the other reason that I like this approach... Um, just kind of going, I'm going to replace a page at a time and I'm just going to re-implement it. Right. Um, and, uh, I'm going to do it in MVC is because I have worked with quite a few web forms applications and I'm working with a couple at the moment for, for a customer. And I have come to the conclusion that, um, the, uh, top hundred million worst lines of code in the world. <laughs> are in web forms applications. I think you're right. I can't argue with that, man. I've seen Fair. horrendous code. There is some terrible, terrible code in, in these things. And you do not want someone to come along and go, hey, I can automatically migrate your horrible code into a new thing. You just you want to get rid of the horrible code. Um, you, you need to do a rewrite, but you can't say we're not adding any new features for two years while we rewrite this whole thing. Right, but right. doing it a page at a time, um, you get the best of both worlds. You can, you can take your time. You can uh, prioritize specific pages or areas of the app. Um, and, uh, and you can gradually do this migration, which was always the problem. No dead drop migrations. Gradual migration. Yeah, yeah. gradual migration. One day, the caterpillar doesn't exist anymore. That's it. It's, it turned into soup, and, and now it is gone. Um, and so, the, the, sort of, the, the key things that you have to worry about when you're doing this is that web forms applications almost universally make heavy use of session. Um, yeah. They, they kind of go, oh, you're navigating from one page to another page, and I need to pass uh, two integers and a string. Shall I put them in query parameters in the URL or shall I stick Heavens, them in no. session and then get them out again on the other page? No, let's do that. Absolutely. That's much easier. <laughs> um, and so you need a way that your sort of new cocoon application can interact with the session in the old web forms application. And so uh, what I've done is created a, a an HTTP handler that adds a very simple API to the old application where you can say, get me a value out of session. And that's surfaced as a a session provider in the new application. And it can set values back as well. So they're sharing session state. And this works even if it's in proc. Um, So, I mean, obviously, you know, if it's in SQL Server or in Redis or whatever you're using, but it also works if it's in proc using kind of sticky load balancing and stuff. Right, right. And the other one is authentication, um, because, uh, you need both apps to be authenticated. And so in both cases, what happens is the, the new application sort of get, needs something out of session, get it from the old application, um, need authentication information, get it from the old application. However, that's doing authentication. Just go, Hey, who's this person? And then you get a claims principle back. And yeah, it's, it's basically. Um, it's just these, these couple of things and, and possibly some other stuff around data protection and so on. But, um, in, in a couple of open source, um, MIT, uh, I think they're Apache licensed, 
Um, I, I never know with licenses, so I, I chose Apache because uh, it seemed fairly common. Um, mm. And yeah, you just you you stick this uh, cocoon dot um, rico dot cocoon dot proxy goes in your front end application, and rico dot cocoon dot legacy goes in your back end application, and then you just have at it. And then you know Visual Recode, you can kind of say, okay, um, get this class library and make this work in in .NET five, and then you've got kind of you can share the class libraries between the two applications um, and reference the same ones multi-targeting with so you're using a different builds. Um, and so I'm hoping that that this will provide a, a path for all those people out there using web forms. Um, to, to start working and also just to get rid of, of some of the terrible, terrible code. Um, yeah. my, my favorite example recently, by the way, was, um, there was, they were trying to do kind of autocorrect for a particular word that obviously people typed wrong. Um, and so it was just on a callback on the ASPX page. And they would say, if the word is this, then change it to the word it's supposed to be. But they ended up with like 400 possible, um, typos that, that had come in that they wanted to auto correct. And so rather than creating a hash set of possible typos and then going, does, does the set contain what they've put? They had an if statement with 400 ors in it. Oh my. Yeah. Oh my God. That's awesome. It, it gets worse because they wanted to do it this as a, as a case insensitive comparison. Um, and they wanted to, uh, to cope with, um, white space at the beginning and end. And so in every single one of those clauses in those 400 ors, they trims. called dot to lower dot trim. Oh, so. God. To run this if statement, they created 800 strings on the stack. Wow. <laughs> um, and you're wow. just like, you no, know, don't do this. Um, and so that's the sort of thing where you're kind of going, like, just let's not copy that code over and keep it alive any longer than we have to. Yeah. I, I think I saw that code in the repo, whatnottodo.com. Yeah. I think. <laughs> it, it may possibly have ended up on the daily WTF. I have no idea how. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so uh, so I'm building this as an open source thing, and also I'm building it um, on Twitch. I stream myself on Twitch, working on it. Oh uh, wow, has that been fun? It's yeah, it is. Um, I kind of I reached the. They have this very low bar to become a Twitch affiliate. Mm. Um, you need fifty followers and to have streamed for X amount of time. Um, and then when you are an affiliate, you get kind of points and people can spend bits and, and things happen. I don't know. It's weird. Um, mm. and, and I'm 30 in hexadecimal and I don't understand <laughs> this, <laughs> this modern but internet stuff. The real stuff. question is, do you succeed at writing the code you want to write on Twitch? My yes. experience watching coders on Twitch is that it's like rabbit hole hell. Um, it's, yeah. I mean, I go around in a lot of circles and, yeah. Um, and then I, there'll be things where I kind of go, uh, okay, so now we need to add the other like 400 built in types that you might want to do this to. And I'm not going to do that and bore everybody while I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. So there's boring stuff where I kind of put a to do and then finish it off after the stream's finished. Um, but no, generally it's, um, I, I think it's fun going down rabbit holes 
and having people to talk to um, right. and having people in the chat. Why, coming down there? Why, why have you done that? Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing that's nice is um, I there's a lot of uh, I, I've become something of a celebrity in a really way. It feels so weird to say that, but you know, I speak at, at conferences and people think I'm really, really good at .NET, which is great. And you know, I'm, I'm not bad at it. Um, but I think there's a lot of people out there who, who maybe have a bit of imposter syndrome. Um, and they see people like, uh, like, me and others who speak at conferences and people like Fritz and um, John Skeet and Bill Wagner mm -hmm. and all these guys. And um, they think that code just pours out of us perfectly right. formed first time. Yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, if I'm doing a, a live coding thing in a conference talk, yes, it pours out of me perfectly formed because I've already written it 40 times practicing. Yes, many, <laughs> many times. In fact, I practiced um, it 15 minutes before I came on stage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think the nice thing about, about people streaming themselves on Twitter is people get to see that actually, no, we don't know. And we're Googling and I sort of, I pull the web page onto the, onto the screen so people can watch yeah. me Googling. Um, and they can see that, uh, that it's nothing, there's nothing special going on here. We're just no, as lost as everybody else. Searching, right? Yeah. And you're, um, and you're looking at an example code and saying, how can I adapt this? And, and yeah, yeah all of those e things. Exactly. Um, and so I think that that's a really nice sort of effect of, of streaming on Twitch. I like the mortalness of that. Yes. You know, but it's just like, this is how regular people write software. It's just, it's normal. Yeah. You know, every, everybody's, this, everybody is referring to Google. Nobody can remember the overloads for date time offset dot to string. Yeah. Nobody remembers which one of those magic letters. The only one I remember is O. Um, <laughs> which is the one true date format. And right. I would use it for everything if I could, but if somebody wants it to say Sunday, the 14th of February, 2021, I need to go and find out yep. um, how to do that. So, you always have to. So, yeah, yeah. It's normal. That's what normal um, looks like. But yeah, so so I've been doing that. Um, that's cool. So that's fun as well. And, do you, and is it also a social pressure? It's like, if I'm going to stream, I have to work on this? Um. I think it's it's a combination of two things. It's yes, I will work on this at seven o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays for right. somewhere between an hour and a half and two hours. Um, it's also you know obviously streaming doesn't hurt for for brand building and yeah. and kind of going hey I'm, I'm Mark Rendell look at me um, and. Uh, if I've got to do this random coding thing, then I can kill two birds with one stone. I can be kind of doing it and it's publicity at the same time. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's not dead time. Um, and also it's just, it's less lonely, right. you know, hiding yourself away. Um, yeah. It, it, and just quietly getting on with it and playing music to code by in the background. It's, Absolutely. it's nice and you can get things done. Um, but just, just doing it on Twitch is like, uh, you, you feel less alone. There's something nice about it. Yeah. Speaking of that, I'm thinking about starting a Spotify channel 
where you can, uh, where the, the sort of the music to code by music happens, but in smaller chunks. And, uh, it's for basically for streamers. You could just put it on and it'll, it'll, it'll pick. Oh, know. that'd be neat. Wouldn't that yeah, be cool? That would be cool. Actually, I, I could also do some, some music just for streaming. I'm thinking about it. So I may well be inviting um, you guys onto uh, a pod. If I get round to it and I find the time to do it, um, I was thinking of starting a, a podcast um, talking to random people because Spotify have now done this thing where if you use their podcasting tool, anchor.fm, mm-hmm. um, you can uh, cut in songs that are on Spotify. Wow. Um, so you can have music in your podcast. Um, and in the UK, there's a show on Radio 4 called uh, Desert Island Discs, where they get people on and talk to them, and they choose five records that they would have on a desert island. Wow. Um, That's cool. And, and a couple of books and a luxury item or something. And I thought of doing this, but with sort of tech people um, and calling it Desert Planet Downloads. And so, yeah, it would have to go out on Spotify and there'd be ads if you didn't have Spotify premium. But for those people who do have Spotify premium, which is almost every techie I know. Mm -hmm. um, And yeah, so so you just come on and shoot the breeze about whatever um, and pick your five favorite tracks for coding to. And they'll just be cut in when people are listening to the podcast. So if, if I find the time. Um, expect an invitation and I'll, we can, we can turn the tables and I can interview you that one at a time. Good. So, yeah. Um, wow. That's, uh, it sounds like you're, there's no excuse for boredom in, uh, in your world. Which no, is good. No. Um, yeah. and if I ever do sort of find myself bored, then, um, I, I've got these unity things as well. And the otters, don't forget the otters. <laughs> and and yeah, um, the otters. I mean, it, it's not gone well so far. There have been some abominations. Um, <laughs> Pictures or it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 was, <laughs> I have to get Photoshop out. Um, yeah. But no, the hidden prophecies in the digits of pi is going much better. Um, <laughs> it's, it's if, if you go from the uh, from about fifteen thousandth digit through to 18,000 and something. Um, it totally predicted uh, the GameStop share prices over the last two weeks. You know, I Which knew if I'd it. known in advance. I know. knew it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, what does it say about silver? That's the next thing. Is it? This week. Oh, I, I need to get myself on Wall Street bets and, and try and get ahead of the curve. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I think we've uh, exhausted the subject. This is good stuff, Mark. Uh it's great to talk to you again, and I can't wait until we can hang out together and share a pint. Yes, looking forward to it. And some outrageously expensive scotch. Inevitably. Yes, yes. And until that happens, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, 
and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a